back to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name's Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. And you can probably hear the birds in the background. So we're recording now from Kenya and um, just getting used to the different environment in the new yard. And um, in Madagascar, it was dogs, dogs barking. But here in uh, Kenya, it's uh, birds. And so anyway, we had a great time sitting down with Pastor Larry to discuss his book, Lead Like a Shepherd, and um, and the secrets to leading well and uh, the secret to leading well it fascinating insightful a book that I was on my reading list for the beginning of the year and um, I just wanted to see if he would consider being on the podcast and so I uh, sent an email and he agreed to be on and it was a great time just to learn from him he's a author writer pastor and um, you've probably read um, some of his other books and um, this one for me was just at the right time words I needed to hear and uh, needed to hear and continue needed to hear about leading well. Um, and so just appreciate him, learned a ton from him. We have some great um, discussions, transparent discussions, and uh, just a, a value. And he, he talks about culture today and um, how we can lead well, lead well and lead like Jesus. And uh, do do want to continue to ask to send in questions for um, Back Channel with Foth. And that's when we sit down with Dick Foth and discuss uh listeners questions that they send in and appreciate Dick's time with us to also request if you would continue to subscribe to the podcast. I know that the podcasts I subscribe to are also the ones that I listen to more frequently. And that way you'll get those, the new episodes come in. We just um, finished up in the month of February, a specific um, emphasis on marriage. And then that way um, they'll come right to your uh, device and you can listen to them um, with little to no effort at all. And so do want to, do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Wes and Peggy Reed collaborators in life and mission. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today. Um, I recently read a book from the, the person we're going to interview today, Pastor Larry Osborne, his book, Lead Like a Shepherd, The Secret to Leading Well. And uh, my wife will tell you we were in a time of jet lag and I had a lot of time to be up at night and um, had honestly been going through a, a challenging time. And his book really ministered to me, spoke to me, challenged me. And um, I spent a lot of time in prayer um, in the process of reading it and have read over it again. So I, Pastor Larry, so excited to have you on the podcast today. Would you mind just sharing um, a little about yourself before we jump into some of the questions? Well, I'm one of the pastors at North Coast Church in San Diego. Been at it for uh, quite a while. Uh, September was 40th year there, so uh, seen a seen a lot and done a few. So yeah. uh, that's uh, I love working with pastors and church leaders, uh, really across the country and around the world. Whenever I can to help me a little bit of wind beneath their wings, that's a passion of mine. Born and raised in California. Yep. My wife and I are the rare third generation Californians. Wow. So, wow. Well, wow. exciting. Well, I'm a, I'm a third generation West Virginian, um, but those are not as rare or uh, they're just, uh, we are who we are. So <laughs> looking forward just to, to asking some of the questions that resonated um, in my mind is, um, as I read through your book, one of the first one is questions I have is just, you say, tragically, we can often focus on the size of our flocks rather than the health of our flocks. I know as missionaries, we're working overseas and as we were leading teams and also those who are working with the churches we're working with, we can also get caught in that same um, 
challenging area. What wisdom and advice would you have um, for missionaries and those listening in and, and a more healthy way to walk and focus on health of the flock rather than the, the size of the flock? Yeah. Well, well, first of all, we've all got very different personalities. So there's, there's some personalities that are much more uh, prone to this temptation. Uh, you know, I, I love when it talks uh, in the book of James about temptation. You know, don't blame the outward thing. It's appetite within you. So you can put the same lure in front of one fish and it swims right by it and another bites. And I think those of us that are wired to be entrepreneurial, those of us that are wired to build things, are the ones that have that problem. Uh, maybe more you're a, a, a mid-L leader, if you will, or a big L leader. Pretty much everything you touch is grows. And then you find yourself in a situation that doesn't. Uh, that's confusing. Uh, people with strong shepherding natural gifts, they don't normally tend to grow things. They tend to make them healthy. So it's not much of a te- temptation or a struggle. Uh, but for, for those who find themselves uh, with their personal value going down and uh, uh, viewing themselves in light of whether or not something is growing, uh, I think the most important thing to come to grips with is, is what we've been called to do. Uh, and I, that's where Peter jumped out at me when I was uh, considering using it as a core of this book and the 23rd Psalm as well, where he says, shepherd the flock among you. And it, it hit me. Nancy and I call the first three years at North Coast the dark years. Because hmm. uh, from a brand new Christian, uh, freshman in uh, college, senior in high school, I started Bible study in my home. It grew. I had two youth ministries. It really grew. Then I come to North Coast Church as a 28-year-old. And for the first three years, we grew by one person. Wow. Uh, and uh, it was very disconcerting. And I came to grips with the fact that I was using the flock I had to try to reach the sheep I wanted to reach. I wasn't satisfied with them. I wasn't concerned. They, they were just props to be moved and manipulated so that we could uh, change the community that I'd, I'd uh, come into. And... Uh, I think that's part of why the Lord said, I'm not giving you any more sheep until you can learn to love the ones you have. Until you can come to the point where you've cried, uncle, you're done. And uh, if uh, I only give you a few more sheep during your lifetime, you'll just faithfully take care of them. So I, I think a lot of it, you know, the scriptures talk about uh, we, we have a, a transformed life by a renewed mind. As we change the way we think, as we align our, our thought patterns with God's thought patterns, uh, then our life changes. And I, I think as a leader, if you're wired to grow things, we have to change them to align with a Lord that says, no, this is your assignment right now. I might or might not give you other sheep later, but this is what I gave you right now. Embrace it, do an incredible job, and your reward will come with a bigger flock in this lifetime, maybe, or a smaller flock in this type, lifetime, maybe, uh, because isn't your real reward in eternity? Uh, it's it's not your your successes right now, if you will. So to me, that was a life change. When I came to grips with, we're probably never going to grow, at least at a third a year. Over the next 10 years, we'll be up 30, might, you know, be popping 150, 200. Uh, And I had to come to grips to say, well, that's going to be okay. And now next thing I know, it just exploded. Yeah. But it didn't explode because of that. Yeah. Uh, What happened is I had peace because of that. Wow. that's And so is that something you learned? Did that happen overnight or is that something that you grown and developed then? And was there a process that you had to walk through to get there? Well, I just think it was my own sin that I had to come to grips with. And my sin was a sin of arrogance. 
Uh, my sin was a sin. You know, uh, I, I've talked to my wife often about this little phrase we use. I go, I shake my head over something somebody's done or whatever. And I go, I guess I'm just really weird. I really try to live my theology. <laughs> you know, because we preach, we preach servanthood. Yeah. But we turn it into servant leadership, which, by the way, isn't what Jesus talked about. He talked about servanthood. And we all love to be a servant when people know we're a leader serving. But when they treat us like a servant, it's like, dude, you know who I am. Uh, and and so to me, it was the same thing here in shepherding, uh, yeah. this idea that God needs me. My theology says, no, he doesn't. Yeah. That I'm... I'm uh, incredibly privileged and graced to be in his family, much less to be over leadership and a part of it. Uh, now, why do I happen to think my worth and my skill set is what grows his church? So really there just had to be a brokenness. And then there were some mentors who kept reminding me of things yeah. like Larry, you're taking too much on yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost like in sports. If somebody has a background in sports, men's or women's sports, uh, you become good the moment you're not thinking too much. Hmm. You know, that when you're always thinking about, now what's the play here? What's the move here? You're, you're, you, when you're playing by numbers, you tend to either get injured or not be very good. Yeah, it's true. And when you just relax and play naturally, you do well. Yeah. And I found that was true in ministry. When I quit worrying about the numbers and just said, okay, I'm going to take care of the people I have. Like I said, I slept better at night. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and lo and behold, he had a different plan as well. I think you mentioned in the book that the sheep are not there for the shepherd, but the shepherd's there for the sheep. And um, that's, and, and I think sometimes that's, it's been a challenge for me. And, um, and uh, just to think that the, I'm the, as a shepherd, I'm there for the sheep and well, not the other way around. Yeah. Think about our language. Uh, we use uh, the phrase, the flock that God gave me. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, God's given me this flock. It's like, no, he's given you to the flock. Yeah. Totally different. But when I think it's about me and my legacy, uh, and I'm somehow the center of the universe, uh, then he gave me this flock to see if he can give me another. And it's all about me. Yeah. But the truth is, it's all about the flock, and I'm just a function. Yeah. And every single one of us is an interim missionary, an interim pastor, an interim, whatever role you're in, whether you founded it or not, you're interim. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's going to be a day where people are going to go, no, I think I heard that name, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's the flock that lives on, not us. That's good. Good word. Good word and a challenging one um, to apply. One of the other ideas you bring up in the book is um, that we can be loved by the masses and loathed, loathed by those who are with us daily. And as, as a husband, as a father, as, as a man, <laughs> as a son, that's something obviously I'm trying to avoid. Um how do we, what do we do, put into place in our lives so that doesn't come? I think, you know, I've, I've said as I've grown up, there's been people that I really wanted to meet. And once I met them, I wish I never met them um, because I thought more of them before I met them than after. And I, I, my wife, I share with her, I hope I never want to be that person. I want people to think that he's a kinder person than, than before. What can we do to avoid that in that trap? Well, uh, again, the first thing goes back to our belief system. What do, not, not what do we say we believe, but what do we really, truly believe? Uh, and I think uh, too often uh, we really, truly believe that the uh, applause of the crowd uh, is more important than the applause of Jesus. 
now we would never say that, but all of our actions show that. Uh, and we, we fall into a uh, couple of myths that I think really hurt us with family. Uh, and like you, I've always thought how horrible it would be if uh, I got my byline in Christianity Today or whatever magazine when I die, and I've been privileged to be a fairly well-known pastor, but my kids, if you talk to them, say, oh man, he was a jerk. Uh, so from the very beginning, my wife and I had this goal with our family, you know, to dial in on family. And I had three goals, and that I think helped me self-correct during those three dark years when I finally came to my senses. And they were that my kids would love Jesus. My kids would love the local church, not North Coast Church, <clears throat> because they were probably going to grow up and move or live somewhere else. If all they liked was dad's place, or I had created an aura that we're special and every place else stinks, yeah. uh, I've, I've done a poison of their soul. Yeah. And then that they would think dad being a pastor was the greatest job in the world. Wow. Those were my three goals. So you don't complain about the church when you're at home. Uh, if you got the keys to the kitchen, they get some ice cream. Everybody else doesn't. Just yeah. you know, just this whole idea. I never want you to say, "My dad was a good man," but that 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 church, that ministry, that mission uh, made him not a good one. Because then they become bitter at at it, and then eventually at God. So. Uh, with that, there were two myths that I just fortunately, my dad lived them out in my life, and I had mentors who supported me that I never bought into, that are commonly bought into, and uh, they will destroy your family, your hmm. marriage, your kids, uh, all, all, all the time. And, and the first myth is this, uh, and it is uh, the myth of quality time. Hmm. This idea that uh, it will all work out if I, you know, give quality time. There's no such thing as quality time. There's only quantity time. Wow. And quality comes out of quantity. Hmm. And too many people in uh, the business world, but also in ministry world, uh, have this idea that I'll be a Disneyland dad or mom. Hmm. And uh, you're not really going to get much quantity. But boy, right now it's us. Well, little kids might respond to that. But by the time they're elementary and by the time they're teenagers, and if you understand you're not done with your job till they're 30, uh, <laughs> it does not work to say, well, you get quality. Quality shows up in quantity. Wow. Uh, and so I made sure I wasn't out that many nights. Yeah. And North Coast grew to be a humongous church. Yeah. But we're still thousands like it could have been yeah. if I'd been willing to be out most nights. Yeah. If I'd been willing to raise a little bit more money to do this or that. But in the end of the day, I wasn't willing to do that. Yeah. And that led to the second myth that God wants us to fulfill our potential. Hmm. That's a cultural myth. He wants us to fill our calling. Hmm. And the only person who will ever fill completely their potential is a single person serving Jesus. Wow. He, that's why Paul says, don't get married if you can handle it. If you're going to burn, get married. I was yeah. going to burn. I got married. And he says, because if you get married, you're going to have a divided mind. And then he says to make clear, and you haven't sinned with that divided mind. That's your new responsibility. Yeah. So um, Nancy and I got married. That meant my potential was going to be cut back by maximizing her Yeah. and adapting where I went and what I did to what her needs were. And how could I present her in all her beauty before the Lord, not me and all my resume before the Lord. Wow. Uh, then we had a kid. Then we had another one. Then we had a mistake by the lake. Uh, <laughs> and... and, and that meant I had four chips against potential. Yeah. But my calling 
was not my potential. And that is a huge mistake. A lot of people sacrifice the family yeah. uh, by thinking, well, God gave me these gifts and they have to be maxed out. I, the example I always use, frankly, is I have a gift to write, obviously, but at mm-hmm. least some people think publishers think For I sure. do. And uh, I was writing my third book when my oldest kid was seven. Hmm. And he told my wife, I don't like it when dad writes, he doesn't play with me. Wow. Well, that was a bunch of baloney. It was two weeks of hmm. focus. But in his little mind, and remember my life goals and my wife's life goals right. with our family. So we decided that night, I'm not writing another book for 13, 15 years till every hmm. kid's in college. Hmm. I'm going to be a good dad, good pastor. And then this potential gift will pick up then. Yeah. Well, it's picked up, but no, the, the, God's not going to restore what the locusts ate because the locusts didn't need them. Uh, I, <laughs> obedience is what ate him. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to die. I, I would have written every book I've written, all the kingdom influence I have, and I'd be 15 years younger. Yeah. But I'm yeah. not sure I'd have kids who, by the grace of God in their 30s, love Jesus. Yeah. Serve him for free. They're all in the marketplace and yeah. yet serving in ministry. Uh, what more would you want? So yeah. I think those two myths, the myths of quality time and the myth of, uh, a potential and yes. English speaking people really suffer from it because of a weird quirk of our language. Hmm. The parable of the ter- uh, uh, talents in every other language is about money. Hmm. In the English language, because of the syn- synonymous sense of talents, giftedness, yeah, we immediately go there. Wow, the parable about possessions, not a parable about what you could do. Interesting. Since you brought up the subject of family, one of the things that uh, I really spent a lot of time thinking about, even again this morning, is you talked uh, in the book and shared this story about parents and their children with sports, and um, that children will a lot of times uh, assume a parent's values, but not necessarily their boundaries. I, th- I hope I'm quoting you correct because I, I don't yeah, have it written down. Oh, so true. Yeah. Um, could you share a little bit about that specifically for families that are involved in, in ministry? Because to me, I think that could be adequately applied to ministry also if value it, but my boundaries might not be the same in what I prioritize yeah. in my life and family. Yeah. The way I put it is as a whole, our children will adopt our values, but not our boundaries. And anybody who ever did youth ministry sees that 10 to 15 years later. And uh, what, what happens is, if I uh, tell my kid, uh, hey, tell that person I'm not home when the phone would ring back in an era where we actually had physical phones. Uh, if I'd say, hey, we're going to take a few days off and go to Disneyland or goof around and we're going to call in with sick days. What my kids are finding, uh, my value is you tell the truth unless it's inconvenient or painful. Wow. So that's their value. If I decide raise my kid, and again, I, I'm seeing this, I hope all your listeners, our listeners are using it as a mirror, not binoculars to judge others. Yeah. Because that's what we often do with hard truth. We, <laughs> we, we go, well, I'm going to see somebody else instead of ourselves. That's not our job. But uh, when it comes to like club sports and all of that, there's a lot of parents whose value is to maximize their kids' uh, athletic ability. Hmm. And they'll be at church every single time. But if there's a, a, a tournament, they're not there. Yeah. Well, the kid is picking up the value that church is very important unless there's something more important. Hmm. And then that parent would be in my office in tears. Their kid has gone away to college. And uh, 
hey, man, they never go to church, haven't found a church or anything. I go, well, you taught them. Yeah. They just happen to think that uh, the value of something more important is sleeping in on a weekend, hanging out with my friends <laughs> or something else. They, they bought your values exactly. They didn't buy your boundaries. Wow. Wow. It was something that's made my head spin and then uh, and uh, really take stock of, of our family and what we are prioritizing and the things that we put put into place. Yeah, and you again, should. please don't take that as like all club sports here in the States or things are bad. No. You know, each, every case is individual, but certainly if it's, I'm going to maximize them so they can play varsity. It's like, dude, when the kid's 30, nobody's going to care what kind of letters they got or didn't get. <laughs> <laughs> you share um, in, in your book about the life of Peter and um, being a spiritual leader and, and the examples we get. How, what can we learn from the life of Peter, specifically in the difficult times that, uh, you know, 2020 has been? What are some lessons that we can learn from his life and we can apply <laughs> as a spiritual leader? Well, again, back to do we live what we preach and, <laughs> and share in devotionals or yeah. are those simply empty words? Because uh, the fact is, a lot of us are really uh, filled with angst when difficult times are difficult. Uh, excuse me. That's the definition of difficult times. <laughs> That's what Jesus warned us about. It's what the apostles lived. Uh, and First Peter particularly was written to a persecuted church. And over and over and over, his message is not, if you'll simply have this perspective or do this, difficulty won't be difficult. Hmm. It's hang in there. Yeah. Of course it's difficult. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of us go, well, 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 the pain should be briefly lived the moment uh, I, I get a spiritual aha of, yeah. of something. You know, I go back to Psalm 73, I see Asaph yeah. all despairing, and then he sees the destiny of everybody. So suddenly I should be whistling and feeling great. No, <laughs> difficult times are difficult. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. He starts out chapter one. These things, though incredibly painful, are necessary. And I just think sometimes we don't believe it. Hmm. Uh, like we, those of us who preach the most about God uses hardships to shape us, scream the most when he uses a hardship to shape us. Well, God, where are you? It's like, I'm right here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just doing exactly what I told you I'd do. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. You also write about Peter... And Peter, he shares, you share four exhortations to leaders. Um, can you, and, and honestly, I, to me, those were things I highlighted, written down for myself. Could you share those um, for the audience today, those four exhortations yeah, for Peter? They're kind of the framework or the main hook of the entire uh, book, even the jump over to the 23rd Psalm. I just take chapter five, where he says to the elders, which we've turned into an office, uh, mm -hmm. And we need to remember the word presbuteros was loosely used to anybody that was older, respected, had a leadership position. When he tells, uh, uh, Paul tells Timothy to appoint elders in every church, they uh, they were house churches. He says, yeah. make sure everyone has a leader. And by the yeah. way, here's the minimum qualifications, which we've tended to rise. But having said that, that means his exhortation is not to an elite group. It's anybody who's got a leadership position in the kingdom. To hmm. those who were overseers, that's what it means. Uh, so what he's, he says is, is uh, number one, lead like a shepherd, shepherd the flock among you. Yeah. Uh, that was the first one. 
Uh, the second one is do it willingly, not under compulsion or God's sake, just only for money. Yeah. Uh, and today that speaks to ministry is not a career, vocational ministry. Hmm. Uh, we need to remember that everybody who's a follower of Jesus is in ministry and some of us are vocationally. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, uh, that's such an important part of the four things is it opens the door to if you don't like leadership, you don't have to lead. See, yeah. we really miss this. <laughs> leadership is if anyone wants to set up my right or left hand. He did not say anyone who loves me wants to sit there. We think hmm. that. Uh, to Timothy says, if, as you point, elders, anyone wants to be, here's the qualification, same to Titus. Uh, and we've turned it into the discipleship ladder as you climb it. At the very top is leadership. Wow. That's, that's a damnable from the pit of hell lie. Hmm. There are two rails the body of Christ exists on, and one is discipleship, everybody's that, and the other is leadership. Yeah. Discipleship's about the next step of obedience. Leadership is about the next step of sacrifice. Hmm. Though obedience has sacrifice, but leaders always about, okay, you want to do it, great, but here's the way. Yeah. And, and so I think there's a lot of people who hate the role they're in and feel trapped. Wow. You know, I... Jesus would have loved me just as much. I, I love entrepreneurial things, real estate, some developments. He would have loved me just as much if I'd said, you know, I just can't handle the politics of a larger church and all. I'm done. Yeah. And I'd gone into real estate. Yeah. He'd been thrilled with me because I still would have discipled t people and taught the Bible. Hmm. I just, in fact, I did that for free before they, I found out I could get paid. So to me, one of the foundation things is, is understanding we have no ability to gripe. Anybody who's in vocational ministry, on the mission field, in the States, wherever it would be, you are now getting paid for what you used to, to do for free. Ooh. And if you're going to gripe and not do it willingly, quit. Mm. Yeah, it's like quit. It doesn't mean you can't have a bad day or right. you know, whatever, but... Um, that, that to me is just really incredibly important if we're going to shepherd like we're supposed to. We uh, can't lose that joy. I get paid for what I used to do for free in my spare time. The only two days I didn't have job in school, I taught Bible studies. And then yeah. somebody came along and said, can we pay you for that? Yeah. Like, uh, I don't even need to pray about that. <laughs> you mentioned. Third, I'll go. Sorry. I'll go ahead. Go. No, you I go say, Third is, is to lead by example. So shepherd the flock you have, do it willingly with joy or quit doing it. Then thirdly, by example, because what you are is what you're going to get. And fourth is understand the reward comes later. Hmm. And in that he says, when the chief shepherd appears, hmm. he hasn't appeared yet. Yeah. See, we, we always think, well, it'll come back five years from now, 10 years from now, later on in my life. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Not even in heaven. The reward comes when the chief shepherd appears. A glacier, not an avalanche. Back to the point you made a, about it. Sometimes I feel like that you, I think you said the ladder of discipleship is to get to a leader. And I think in the book you share that at times, if we have the gift of leadership, we want to put that on other people that um, to make everyone a leader. What wisdom could you share for, for those who are listening to this that are leaders to not put, try to push that on somebody that really doesn't feel that that's their gifting and calling to, to be a leader. They're, they're a disciple. They want to follow Jesus. As you shared, they want to, they want to serve. That's not at all, but they're real hesitant because as you share, it does say if, 
And um, you share a scripture also in the book that basically they want to be humble. And uh, I forget the scripture. I apologize. Oh, it's the Thessalonians. Work there with you your go. hands. There you go. Uh, lead a quiet life. There you go. Uh, it's like, what? You know, every leader goes, <laughs> oh, that's sin. And I go, actually, that's a command in Thessalonians. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, work with their hands, lead a quiet life. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? And so how do we how do we not fall into that trap of tra- if we're our leader how do we fall, not fall into the trap of putting that on somebody else? For, well, it's not it. all. It's not always my theme, but it seems like the theme in this interview is yeah. your theology. Yeah, because there's things we we preach that don't believe, as I've already articulated, right. and uh, two of the biggest ones are the priesthood of believers. Hmm. We don't really believe that. We think vocational ministry is really where the priesthood exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, where the front lines are when the front lines are actually out in the marketplace. And the second is the body of Christ. Yeah, You will always try to make people into a little you until you understand the body of Christ means the ear will never see. Hmm. It will never see. And we all have a tendency to think that people are born blank slates. And if you experience what I experienced and know what I know, you'll vote the way I vote. Hmm. And the truth of the matter is you could have lived my entire life in my body uh, and you could know everything and experience everything. And you'd still see the world differently if I'm an eye and you're an ear. Yeah, that's Uh, good. And that's, that's really our our problem is we don't believe the body of Christ. And so our discipleship patterns are always trying because my discipleship path made me a leader. Yeah. But it didn't make my wife a leader. Yeah. She's got a whole different set of gifts. One of the other parts of the book you you share about um, leading others down uh, scary and dangerous paths, and um, many of the the people that are listening into this are serving in in countries and in places that's hostile to the gospel. They're there sharing that, and they're they're leading teams in some very difficult places. Um, what wisdom can you share with uh, listeners for those that are leading and? Um, in difficult places, leading people in dangerous and perilous um, places where they serve? Well, uh, and I I think probably most of the people listening already have learned this, or they would have burned out, but but we need to learn the lesson of Daniel when we're in a godless environment. One of the books I wrote is called Thriving in Babylon, Hmm. and it's a look at Daniel's life, because Daniel was never written to be a Sunday school uh, curriculum. Uh, it wasn't written as an adventure story, because if the message of Daniel is that if you have faith and boldness, you won't be eaten and won't be burnt, uh, <laughs> and God had some explaining to it, because everybody else was eaten and everybody else died. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an adult primer for how to thrive in Babylon, uh, yeah. and Daniel puts it together at the end of his life yeah. and uh, says, here's some highlights you need to un- understand, and and so... Uh, one of the things that, you know, what he has is, first of all, he's got, uh, he understands who God is. Yeah. From the very beginning, he says, the Lord's the one who put Nebuchadnezzar uh, victorious over Jehoiakim, and the Lord's the one who let him raid the temple and take devoted things and put him in the temple of the demon god Baal. And yeah. so once those are the first two verses. They're always hmm. passed over. Hmm. Once we understand God's in control of these situations, then we can follow his game plan no matter what the score is in the third quarter instead yeah. of say i got to take okay his way's not working i've got to save the day and do mine 
Yeah, it's good. Uh, but another thing that he has there is so he keeps the game plan no matter how dangerous it is. But he's also got incredible wisdom. And in a godless environment or hostile environment, we need to make sure we're picking the battles Jesus would pick, hmm. not the battles we pick. Hmm. So let me give you some very practical illustrations. This one is not so much on the mission field, but in the States, but you can carry it over. For sure. But you're, you, you've got a cubicle, and the person in the cubicle next to you uses the name Jesus Christ as a swear word. Hmm. And they're dropping F-bombs or whatever. Like, you might say you're uncomfortable, but nowhere in the Bible does it say non-Christians have to live like Christians. Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible, in fact, it says the exact opposite in 1 Corinthians 5, that it's my job to make sure believers live like believers. Right. And what am I to do with judging outsiders? God will judge them Yeah. Uh, in that church discipline passage. So a lot of the uh, hostility we have raised over time has been because we've picked battles that aren't the battles we picked. Hmm. Think about Daniel. Again, I'll go to him, as, and I encourage your readers to, you don't need my book, Thriving in Babylon. Just read Daniel with a lens of, what does it show me? Hmm. Okay, he entered the administration of a godless, demon-worshiping king and served him so well he kept getting promoted. Hmm. When forced to study the language and literature of the, of, the, of the Chaldeans, which is code for astrology and occult, he didn't say, I'm withdrawing. Yeah. He graduated number one in his class, so he had later on the credibility to say, he and his buddies, this is a bunch of bunk. Yeah. Uh, he didn't sit in the back and mock. He didn't spit in Nebuchadnezzar's coffee. Uh, he sat in the front and took copious notes. Now, where he did draw the line, he didn't practice astrology in the cult. Right. They changed his name to uh, from God is my judge to Baal, the demon god's servant. Hmm. He didn't care. Call me whatever you want, as long as it's not late to dinner. <laughs> but when they said worship an idol, his friend said, no way, kill us. Yeah. When they said stop praying after 60, 70 years of it, yeah. uh, he said, no way. Hmm. Uh, and, and when it came to kosher diet, notice how polite he was. He didn't scream and yell like you guys are. He said, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, we'll never influence a culture where people think we don't like that culture or like them as pagans. That's good. That's Jesus good. died for us while we were his enemies. We need to love his enemies, not want to wipe them out. We want to win them over. Wow. Uh, and I think there's a tendency sometimes to see his enemies as our enemies rather than our project. Hmm. Uh, the only people Jesus railed on, the only people in the New Testament are people who knew the Bible inside out and were arrogant and tried to raise the bar to keep others out. Hmm. You know, yeah, Jesus, oh, man, he just went into them. And, and it's like, well, wait a minute. He didn't go into the pagans. Yeah, that's uh, true. He went into the arrogant religious God protectors. That's good. So if we would learn to pick our battles, I think we'd have a whole lot less battles. If we would learn to serve whoever God put in control well. Yeah. Uh, why don't we do that to get promoted? Yeah. Uh, good word. Good challenging word. I'd like to ask you just one more, one more question um, for the young leaders that are listening in um, and feel like they're maybe they're waiting in the wings. You, you share and address this in the book. What encouragement and wisdom do you have for them as, as they wait? Well, to understand if you're a big L leader of any sort, you are always going to have an impatience issue. 
Okay. That just comes, everything <laughs> has its dark side, if you will, that comes with it. Uh, so part of it is you just pray to God that he will not give you a platform that outpaces uh, your character. Hmm. Okay. And then let him do it. Because the problem is you, I'm, I know for myself, I thought I was, I'm 28 years old, man. I've got these huge youth ministries. I'm uh, in my tribe, my denomination, second largest church. I'm preaching at 24 when the lead pastor's gone. I'm hot stuff. I come down to San Diego and they go, you know, you're not hot stuff. You're hot something else. <laughs> you know, you're get, well, who do you think you are? And, and that just happens. Some of those lessons, I, I, do, I hang around a lot of young leaders. That's kind of mm. my thing. And one of the things I think that draws them to me is I don't rip on them for their impatience. I just try to gently warn them. Hmm. Because there's nothing worse than an old guy telling you, wait your turn. Right? <laughs> like some, lessons, some lessons cannot be learned intellectually. They're learned practically. So, again, the more I can get the truth in there, the more the practical lesson will be learned easier. And a couple of things that were helpful. Yeah. Uh, again, they didn't solve it was one, an understanding that it takes 15 years to become an overnight success. Mm. We always think everything's overnight. And it really, if you look back like, nope, you know, they, they, uh, they, they played in the bars and they played it, you know, a little concert for 14, 15, 16 people. And then suddenly, boom, they're a big star. Like, yeah. well, it took 15 years of doing that. Yeah. Uh, North coast. Uh, it's like, I want to tell you at year 10 or 12, like people were not, well, by year nine, we we're starting to grow, but by year five, six or seven, there's nobody asking me for any leadership insight or whatever. And I just like faithfully keep doing the same thing Yeah, uh, and see what happens. Uh, and uh, you know, another thing is to understand God's will has both a want and a will. This was something a mentor taught me early. We think God's will, once we know it, that's the what, then the win is right now. Hmm. But the what and the win are two different things. And so if you're a young leader and you know what you need to be doing, what the organization needs to do, if you were in charge, et cetera, great. But understand until God says go, it's not the win. And you want a great biblical example, a guy who screwed it up. Take a look at Moses. Hmm. He knew the what, I'm the deliverer. He jumped the gun 40 years early and had to live 40 years as a shepherd out in the wilderness until a burning bush shows up. And I've heard people say, oh, that was God training and honing him. And it's like, that makes a great leadership talk, but that's not found in the scriptures. The scriptures <laughs> are quite clear that he had to flee for his life because 40 years too early, he said, now it's time to deliver. Yeah. And the burning bush hadn't opened the door yet. Yeah, uh, and he could have spent those forty years in the palace. I'd rather spend them there. Yeah, for sure. Just one little, one more. I promise, one more question. Out, <laughs> what does a platform that outpaces uh, out outpaces character? What would what does that look like? Well, I you, you've seen it over the years. Sometimes in in people, they get too much praise and they start to believe their press clippings. Okay. Uh, and what happens is whether it's conferences, a denomination, a missions organization, uh, uh, publishers, they're always looking for the next big thing. Hmm. And uh, you can have giftedness uh, that far surpasses your, your, your character, your roots. Yeah. Uh, I have some friends I've worked with to help them make their way on 
the backside of some really dark, you know, public uh, difficulty. And in each case, there were really good people that were used by the uh, Christian organizations. Yeah. Well-meaning Christian organizations, but not right. realizing like at 26, 27, most people don't have the character to not think like they're yeah. the cat's meow. Yeah, and like good. you're not. That's good. Uh, they they haven't. Uh, I'm working with a guy right now who's never lost at anything, anything hmm. in his life hmm. until just recently. And uh, man, is he struggling with that. And yeah. it's like, well, th- here's the problem. Uh, people used your giftedness, lifted you up. You speak here, you do this, you do that. But uh, you don't yet know what it's like to be, to fail. Yeah. And your failure is going to be very public. We're challenging. We're Pastor Larry, will you pray for us? Um, pray that uh, what you shared with us today. Oh, before we do that, could you where would where can people find your books and um, and your resources and how can they follow you? Well, uh, the books Amazon. <laughs> yeah, type in my name and you would find my books, and then you'll find a couple. Uh, there's one about uh, extra. You know that people do these little Kindle books and. Uh, yeah. There's one about exercise and all this sort of stuff. Believe me, it might have my name. That ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> if it's on discipleship and leadership, those two are my. There's about okay. 10. On Amazon's always a great place. Just type in Larry Osborne with an E. Good deal. Uh, Good deal. And then uh, you you could just basically Google my name and find my websites and, and uh, YouTube channel and all that stuff. So that's, that's Google and Amazon solve everything. All right. I'll put those in the show notes, but I just wanted to, to ask you before we do that. Will you pray for us? Will you pray that we will use what you shared? Not that we just have head knowledge, but things that we'll put into action in our heart and lives um, today. Yeah. Father, what I would uh, pray is uh, the brief time that we've had together to dialogue. And uh, for everyone who is uh, listening to this today, uh, that your Holy Spirit would be very powerful. And uh, instead of just a bunch of information, you would, for each of us, pick the one or two things that have our name on it, not just information around it. And uh, would you, through the power of your spirit, quicken our hearts to realize, ah, that's got my name on it, and give us the power and the strength and the courage to respond in obedience, where that is for your fame and your glory, which always, in the end, is for our good as well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Amen.